Coming to you from KFAI Radio in Minneapolis, this is the Minute Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Jumande Twe. On this podcast, we're going to bring you the best stories about Minnesota arts, about the culture, and the history, all produced here at KFAI Radio. This is our last episode of Season 3, and we decided to end this season with stories about a Minnesota artist who needs absolutely no introduction. Prince Rogers Nelson was born on June 7th, 1958, in Minneapolis. He grew up here, learned how to play music here, performed his very first concert here. And even though he was a massive superstar who could have lived anywhere in the world, he chose to stay here, creating and being his funky-ass self right here in Minnesota. That decision definitely confused some people. Here's Prince in an interview with Oprah back in 96. Uh, and you're living in Minneapolis of all places. Minneapolis, yeah. Yeah. I will always live in Minneapolis. Do you do you you will always live here? Mm-hmm. Why? It's so cold it keeps the bad people out. I believe that. Minneapolis isn't just the place where Prince happened to live. It's the place where he got exposed to a mix of musical influences from funk to soul to R and B to jazz to rock. I mean, once you do the research and you read his story, you realize there's no other place Prince could have come from. I mean, it's really him being in this place and building off all those musicians who came before him and you know, creating this new sound that's really a blending of all the musical styles he was exposed to that probably wouldn't have happened if he grew up in a different place. Kristen Schumler is a historian and she's also an archaeologist who works for the Minnesota Department of Transportation. Now, after Prince died in 2016, she started digging, doing some research on what you might call purple places around the Twin Cities. These are spots where something significant happened to Prince as an artist. She's doing this research so that some of these spots can be considered for historic designation. And what that means is they'll be protected. She took me and my producer, Nancy Rosenbaum, to one of the places she researched Prince's home over on 8th Avenue in North Minneapolis. Is that the yellow house there? The house is a little yellow rambler with a two-car garage. This is where Prince wrote his first song, Funk Machine, at age seven. This is where he taught himself how to play the piano and essentially mastered it. Um, He became proficient on it from watching his dad, who was a jazz pianist, but also just experimenting and playing around on it himself. Kristen led us on a Prince-themed walking tour of different spots around North Minneapolis. She even took us to meet Prince's older cousin, Chas Smith. What's up, funky historian? What's happening? I'm <laughs> Hey, what's happening? What's going on? What's going on, man? My pleasure. What's up, man? Chaz is in his 60s now. He's tall, lanky, strong, dark sunglasses, has a cool flair to him. I'm, my name is Charles Chaz Smith. Um, I'm Prince's first drummer. I'm his cousin. Um... We had our first band called Grand Central, and uh, uh, I guess I'm really blessed. What can I say? When him and Prince were little kids, they used to go with their Aunt Mary to a Seventh-day Adventist church in North Minneapolis over on Glenwood Avenue. The services were on Saturdays. Chaz and Prince played music there sometimes, but it didn't last 
going to that church too long. I told my Aunt Mary I ain't coming back. If we didn't come back, I wrote her a letter. My dad had us write a letter. Prince had to write one, and I had to write one telling her that we love her and we appreciate the fact that she was trying to kick some serious religion to us, but we were like, nah, we don't want to go to church on Saturday. Not happening. Chaz had not been back in that church for years. We never, I've never been in here. I haven't been in here except for the last, I think it was in the 60s. After Martin Luther King was killed, I think that we were, that was the last time we were up in here. We're going to hear more stories of our prince from Chaz and Kristen a little later in the episode. But first, KFAI's Ryan Dawes interviewed this dude who's best known as Prince's first manager. Here's Ryan's story on Famous Rock Manager Tells All. For KFAI in Minneapolis, I'm Ryan Dawes. Owen Husney was born in 1947. He grew up in St. Louis Park, listening to B.B. King and Muddy Waters. He was a chubby clarinet player who didn't get along with the band teacher or the football team. I was locked in my own locker. I was beat up. I was slugged. You know, letter jackets to this day scare the hell out of me. That all changed when Husney traded in his clarinet for a Sears silver tone electric guitar. He now had direction. His confidence grew. He even made one of his bullies cry. And he spent a winter hunkered down in the basement, learning how to rock. Learned how to make a D chord, my first D chord. And I ran around the house playing one chord to all the furniture in my house. Husney formed a band called The High Spirits and convinced the principal of St. Louis Park High School to let them play at a school dance. This information was not lost on members of the football team. So I knew the letter jackets were going to come to beat me up that night in the school dance because of what I had done to one of them. The night of the dance, his foes burst in as the band took the stage. The one that hated Husney the most plowed toward the front, obviously drunk. We started counting down and the lead singer said, play, just play. And he, he started to charge towards me and he started to jump up on the stage and he got his head within about four inches of my speaker. And that original D chord that I learned how to play, I just hit that chord at full volume and it went through his ears and he reeled back and then our keyboard player took the mic stand and pushed him off the stage and then all the girls rushed the stage and uh, there we were, we were on our way, saved by rock and roll. The High Spirits would score regional fame with their song, Turn On Your Love Light, launching Husney's career in the music industry. Musician, was a booking agent, food services backstage. Then I became a manager, uh, chief operating officer, hits on one and a senior vice president into and managing the estate. I actually uh, bought a few record labels uh, along the way. But what's he most well known for? Obviously, when I am introduced, the person that's introducing me will always say, uh, this is Owen Husney. This is the guy who discovered Prince. When Prince Rogers Nelson was still a teenager, plenty of people had heard his music. But major label execs weren't exactly roaming around North Minneapolis passing out record deals. A studio engineer named Chris Moon had already recorded some demo tracks with Prince, including the song Soft and Wet. <laughs> 
Moan couldn't get any traction among the labels, so in September of 1976, he brought Prince over to Husney's house. So he comes over. When I first met him, I noticed one thing about him is that, you know, he was not wearing the clothes of a wealthy man, trust me. But they were crisp and clean, and he was, had, must have ironed them, and he really cared about how he looked. Prince played the piano in the dining room. They joked around a bit and even talked about changing his name to just Prince. He had this intellect. He was able to grasp things. And I discussed a few ideas that he got right away. That, you know, look, when I was 18, I didn't even want to tell you what I, well, I was in a band, but I was doing some naughty things, you know, and stupid things. This, he was not anything about that. He was about his career. As Husney watched Prince leave down the driveway, it felt like the end of a first date. I, I felt like when you see that girl that you bumped into that you fall in love with, walking to her car and you're just boy am i vulnerable at this very moment because she may never go out with me again she may not want to have any what did she think of me what did i make a good impression on her and that's the feeling that i got will i see him again they of course did see each other again husney became prince's manager he built a team with an attorney an accountant artists engineers and more all with the goal of locking down a record contract for Prince. From a very early age, everything that I did in the business led me up to that day so that I would know what to do and I would have the contacts when Prince came into my life. My genius was getting his genius from point A to point B. And in this case, point B was stardom. Husney and his team successfully negotiated a three-record contract with Warner Brothers, worth six figures. For KFAI, I'm Ryan Dawes. So years before that six-figure record deal, Prince and his older cousin Chaz were playing in a band called Grand Central. Prince's friend, Andre Simone, played bass guitar. Andre's sister, Linda, played the keys. This was in the early 70s when they were all teenagers. I said, we really could use a guitar player. And Prince, well, I'll learn. I'm going, man, you ain't going to be able to play the guitar. You can play the keyboards and stuff like that. Respect. I, okay. He said, my dad, I'm going to ask my dad to get a guitar. So he asked his dad. I was there when he asked him. I was there the day his dad brought him this giant Gibson guitar. It was bigger than him. Handed it to him. Kind of a George Benson type of jazz uh, guitar. That was his first guitar, and I love telling the story because this is, this is how you know that you're born to do something. He came back the next day playing all Santana stuff to me. Black Magic Woman was a song we were trying to do. We didn't have a guitar player. We had the organ, he had the organ parts and all that stuff down, which he showed everyone their part. Except for mine, but he showed everyone their Andre's bass line, uh, Andre's sister Linda, the keyboard parts. He came back with that guitar line in Black Magic One and sounded just as pretty. It was crying and we were like, we're a band, man. Grand Central rehearsed at Chaz's childhood home over on Sheridan Avenue North. He took us down there to check it out. Um, my, this is where I grew up and my dad died in this house. We owned it that long. That tree 
This big giant pine tree. It's been there since I was a little kid. The house is big. It's two stories with an upstairs den and a grassy backyard. The band used to jam right there. And um, we'd, we'd uh, set up the equipment outside in the backyard and we would play and everybody, be, all kinds of people would come from all over the place. And uh, my dad would get a call at work and they'd have to, he'd have to come home early to get the, the clear the kids and get them out of here. And then my dad said, you guys can't practice here anymore. <laughs> we used to go, what? And then that's when Andre said, you can practice in my house. And we said, okay. So we went over to his house. And uh, my dad said later, years later, he said, I should have never told you kids you had to leave. He said, I just was, he's trying to explain it, right? I was going like, just say it, you're mad. You, you wish you would have kept us because you didn't know we was going to be that great. <laughs> it was around the same time that Prince ran into another Minnesota music legend named Gary Hines. He started a group called Sounds of Blackness when he was a student at McAllister College in the 1970s. Gary Hines and Prince first met as teenagers. They were playing at community festivals and clubs around the Twin Cities. Events such as uh, the Northside Festival, uh, tens of thousands of people, stage and all of that, the annual Miss Black Minnesota pageant or the annual Urban League dinner. So lots of time spent backstage uh, at events like that, sharing music, you know, in some of the same uh, venues. Prince was a guy who didn't keep the typical nine to five hours. He was known for being a night owl. KFI producer Nancy Rosenbaum was curious about those 3 a.m. calls Gary Hines used to get from Prince. She caught up with them in 2017 and produced this piece. If Gary Hines got a call in the middle of the night, here's what would go through his head. Either somebody's sick, dead, or in jail, or it's Prince, you know, the ring at 3 a.m. And of course, uh, fortunately, it was him and not the former. Prince had a distinctive way of communicating in these early morning calls. Even though we had met and interacted, you know, over the years, he would frequently use uh, your full name um, and act like it was the middle of the day as well at three in the morning. Uh, uh, Gary Hines. Uh, good show, Gary Hines. It's a good show. Um, I have some ideas for the blackness. The blackness is a reference to the Grammy Award winning group Sounds of Blackness. Hines is the founder and musical director. You may recognize their 1991 hit, Optimistic. From the very beginning, Sounds of Blackness has used its music to celebrate the Black experience. Prince was a big supporter of the group's mission. So often the, the media downplays uh, the degree to which he was Afrocentric. I mean, he loved all people. Let's, you know, let me get that out there. But I mean, his concern, you know, for, you know, the people he grew up with and that, that looked like him. Long before Prince and Hines each became famous, they crossed paths as fellow musicians in the Minneapolis public schools. This was back in the early 70s. Hines was a senior, and Prince was still in junior high. They later got to know each other as their bands gigged around the Twin Cities. Their friendship took root over late-night conversations backstage, and also at Twin Cities black clubs, places that no longer exist. The Cozy, the Blue Note, uh, the Nakarima, which is American spelled backwards, uh, the Riverview, uh, because a lot of times black R&B bands in the Twin Cities, uh, many of the white clubs wouldn't let them play. Over the years, Prince invited Sounds of Blackness to collaborate. Hines remembers getting one of those middle-of-the-night phone calls from Prince, this time with some big news. Gary Hines, I have something for Sounds of Blackness. I can't exactly give you all the details, but can you be at pace? It was on Halloween, by the way, too. i never forget that. The top-secret project turned out to be the soundtrack for the 1989 movie Batman. If you listen closely, you can hear vocal samples from Sounds of Blackness on this track, 
titled The Future. Hines and Prince didn't just share a passion for music. They were both concerned about encouraging and affirming young people, especially Black youth. It was in that spirit that Hines got another late-night call from Prince. It would be one of their last. I remember one sentence he said, uh, Gary Hines said, um, if you're going to be Sounds of Blackness, you have to be Sounds of Blackness. You have to come even stronger. Kind of, you, we got to let the, you know, the young heads know, you know their history and, uh, and, and who they are and when the, the great African kingdoms and all that. And I remember I said, Prince, you sound like me. <laughs> and he laughed. Hines took Prince's encouragement as inspiration for a new project, a collaboration with the High School for Recording Arts. Sounds of Blackness work with students at the St. Paul School to record royalty. That's the track you're hearing now. Hines's lyrics speak to black youth who get bombarded with negative stereotypes. Dropout, underachiever, inner city, uh, gangster, thug, everything but what their heritage really is and that they are descendants of kings and queens, they're never told that. Hines dedicated royalty to Prince. The track came out just over a year ago, and it's still on the gospel charts, and was recently nominated for a prestigious award from the NAACP. Sadly, Prince never got to hear the song. I, I can't help but think that he would have loved it. I, I could hear his voice, you know, saying, uh, uh, Gary Hines, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean, Gary Hines. <laughs> In the days following Prince's death, Hines was interviewed by CNN. They recorded him playing Purple Rain on the keyboard, which is what you're hearing now. I spoke with Hines as the one-year anniversary of Prince's death was approaching. He says he's still grappling with the loss of his friend. It still seems like uh, a 3 a.m. phone call is going to come any time now kind of thing, you know. So uh, the world lost a light. America lost uh, an icon, Minnesota lost a son, uh, Minneapolis lost a prince, and I lost a friend and brother. And uh, just can't even uh, conceive of it um, at all, much less the fact that a year has already passed. For KFAI, I'm Nancy Rosenbaum. On a hot afternoon in 2018, Gary Hines performed with Sounds of Blackness at a Juneteenth celebration in North Minneapolis. We almost done, but we're all out here now. We all sweating now. Might as well go for it, right? <laughs> you know, we're in the army now, so. He took a moment to remember his friend Prince and all the special memories they shared playing at events like this one. Y'all, we appreciate you so much. We promised you a few minutes earlier we couldn't do this. Uh, without a tribute uh, in honor 
of the late great Prince Rogers Nelson. And again, I guarantee you, as someone who knew him 45 years or better, uh, I guarantee you, in this heat and everything, he would have been here, trust me. So this is for him. He loved the North Side, he loved you. And uh, in honor of Prince. I know you do. For historian Kristen Shumler, raising awareness of our Prince's roots on the North Side has become a passion. I was on a tour once where one of the fans said, Paisley Park is what Prince created, but this is the place that created Prince. And I think keeping this connection, making people understand it, bringing them to these places, getting historic recognition for them is really critical. It was like Prince was listening to our conversation from another galaxy. While we're hanging out, checking out his home where he grew up, some kids from the neighborhood came running over to us to ask us questions. Hi. We're on the radio. Do a little radio piece. Can we be in it? Do you know any Prince songs that you can sing? Yeah. This is where Prince grew up. He did in this house. In this house right here. Literally. How old are you guys? Eight. Eight. Nine. 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 So Prince moved in here just before he turned seven and lived here until he was 13. This is where he learned to play I'm the seven. piano. Huh? I'm seven. You're seven. So that really? Was, that was the age. He moved in here. Yep. Christian has researched and written about dozens of these places all across the Twin Cities, from the hospital where Prince was born to the music studio where he recorded demo tapes as a teenager. But her research, it's not over yet. There's still a lot of history and stories to be told and places to be identified and hopefully recognized and preserved because, you know, this is... This is the biggest gift that Minneapolis gave the world, is, are these amazing artists and this amazing music that you know, still captures so many people today and is still evident in music that you hear today. So I think having these places and you know, being able to facilitate people coming and looking and seeing these locations is, is critical. And I want the story to go beyond Prince. He is the principal architect. He is the, the, the supernova in, this, in the Minneapolis sound story. But there are so many other artists that also need to get recognized, too. If you want to experience Kristen's tour yourself, learn more about Prince, more about the Twin Cities history, go to Preserve Minneapolis. Uh, it's a volunteer organization. They organize some really cool walking tours. And in the summertime, I promise you're going to learn a lot. We're going to close out season three of this podcast with the sounds of blackness performing Purple Rain. This happened at Bethune Park in North Minneapolis back in 2018. Never meant to cause you any sorrow. Never meant to cause you any pain. I only wanted one time to see you laughing. I only want to see you laughing in the purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. I only want to see you.
Thanks a lot for listening to season three of the Minute Culture podcast. You already know what to do. Go ahead and subscribe. Write us a review. And if you like this podcast, of course, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell the whole world that you love Minute Culture. We make this podcast with love. Our producers are Sophie Nikitas. She makes it with love. Emily Bright. She makes it with love. Nancy Rosenbaum makes it with a lot of love. And of course, Todd Melby got nothing but love for this podcast. Our theme music is Javier Santiago. Support for Minute Culture is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. I'm your host, Jumande Twe. I'll be back with you next season. Peace. Say we love you, Prince. Trust me, his spirit is here. He can hear you. All right, couple more, and we ain't got no more.